Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of What's Next. With me as my guest today is Katie Craner. Did I say your last name right? You did. Okay, great. Welcome. I'm really happy to have you. Happy to be here, Liz. Thank you for inviting me. I met Katie years ago. Uh, we did some work together and I just think the world of you, Katie. And so <laughs> I always enjoy our conversations and I'm happy to have you here. Katie is a psychotherapist specializing in early developmental trauma resolution. Katie's practice assists individuals and families to reconnect to their inner wholeness, blending traditional training and therapeutic touch people experience access to living lives of increased ease. Advanced certifications taught by leaders in the trauma resolution field have cultivated relationships that support healing the world over. Somatic experiencing, touch skills for trauma therapists, and somatic resilience and regulation are each modalities that continue to highlight the personal and professional observation that nervous system regulation has a profound and life-changing impact on everyday living. An international move spurred Katie to become proficient in utilizing online resources to nurture healing and clients, regardless of geographic location. The depth of healing occurring online continues to surprise and inspire her work. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Liz. Hi. And Katie, you're here in Juneau, but um, I'm, I'm curious if you're doing mostly online now based on on the bio or, or what you're up to these days? Yeah, so I am back in Juneau. Our family has returned to Juneau after living in Tasmania for a handful of years. And I think I am fortunate to be doing a hybrid type style of work. So I have clients that I see in my office here in Juneau that are longtime clients here in Juneau. I have clients that I see that are in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Ecuador, um, in the lower 48. Um, there are no boundaries any longer to the location of, of the work um, that we get to do. So um, thanks to the pandemic we <laughs> and to Zoom, we can do work regardless of where people are. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I asked you today to talk about not the most exciting topic, but something we're all going to face in our lives and, and something I certainly interact with in the fact that I'm an estate planning attorney talking often about death. Um, and I asked you to come talk about grief. Indeed, you did ask me to come talk about grief. Yes. 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 And where should we begin? I, I want, you know, I'm familiar with the seven stages of grief. Um, and 
I do my best to avoid feelings. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and my gut reaction is to ask, and how is that going for you? <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> but we won't go there today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but when you think about grief, what yes. what are some topics that come to mind to you? Whether you want to start by trying to define it or just avoiding that altogether and um kind of starting broader and what that what that means. Yeah. Well, a couple things. I think at this moment in time. Um, right. So grief can be just, grief can be quite a wide spectrum of things, um, that can include death, but grief can also be closer to home and personal to all of us in ways that do not include death. And I mentioned that because I think we all are grappling with grief at this very moment in time. And what I mean by that, just to make this personal to anybody who could possibly be listening or to just create a point of reference for each of us at this moment in time, is to acknowledge that hopefully we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, the pandemic. And regardless of what the pandemic has meant for each of our lives or how the pandemic has impacted each of our lives whether that has meant that we've literally lost someone to COVID or not. Each of our lives has been transformed. The way that we spend our time recreationally, the way that we might show up to our professional lives, the duration of time that went between visits with family or friends, the ways that we traveled, the ways that we went out to dinner or didn't, went to the movies, or didn't here in Juneau, the ways that the tourist season impacted the vitality of our community and the income that came in or didn't impacts life. And we can hone in on any one of those examples that I just made. And there's something personal there in each of us that we have grieved. There's something that we've lost in there, which is an example of us adjusting to life in a way that has resulted in us saying goodbye to something that we were not prepared to say goodbye to. Never did we imagine that we would have to abruptly say goodbye to going out to dinner whenever we wanted to. In 2019, we could have thought, oh yeah, like we can just get up and go out to dinner. We don't have to like take that for granted or didn't think that we were taking it for granted. So there can be grief and loss in any number of things just because here we are sitting on the, what we hope is soon to be the other side of a, of a global pandemic. Yeah, well, this is an interesting place to, to start. When we spoke in preparing for our conversation before mm-hmm. recording, um, mm-hmm. you had talked about different types of grief. And I know this isn't necessarily where you want to go today, mm-hmm. but I thought it was just interesting more on an intellectual, which is where I'm much yes. more comfortable than talking about feelings. <laughs> so I'll grab yes. right onto that. But um, yes. but just the 
when we expect a loss of a human, a pet, a we know something's coming in terms of a life change versus the yes. the unexpected loss. Yes. But there are a lot of ways that we go through a loss in our life that is is deeply personal that the world is not yes. going through. And so yes. then to talk about all of our, even though my my loss yes. is different than yours and different than my yes. neighbors, we have all kind of gone through this experience. Yes. There's a collective loss. Mm. There's a collective shared loss at play in this kind of example. But you're right that when we talk specifically about death, and you're also right about sometimes there are deaths that we expect, that we anticipate, and then there are deaths that we are completely shocked by, that we don't see coming, that knock us completely flat, disorient us. And what all of those deaths have in common is that there's a process at play of saying goodbye. And that process of saying goodbye is absolutely unique to the person who is saying goodbye. Meaning if, so if, if a older woman dies and has four children and eight grandchildren, each of those children and grandchildren will go through a different process. Yes. And I think there can be some value in looking to some of the very, very well-documented and well-researched literature about say, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. And there's some research that says, oh, there are additional stages of grief. Yes, there can be great value in looking at those stages of grief and acknowledging that we might all go through some of those that that might include shock, denial, pain, guilt, anger, bargaining, etc., etc. And at the same time, I think when a person is in their own experience of having their spouse, their friend, their sibling, their teacher, their neighbor, their pet, whomever it is that has died, die, there's a sense of deep loss that those words and stages of grief just pale next to Meaning that that it doesn't matter. Is that what you're saying? No. It doesn't matter what yeah. stage it's called yeah. if you're in yeah. the midst of, yeah. of a loss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when we talk about grief as a process of saying goodbye, that's unique to each person. As a therapist, I have such a distinct honor and role of being able to sit with someone and being able to be with them wherever they're at with no hurry to just slowly be able to say, all right, what's important today? What do we need to do to honor where you're at saying goodbye to this person? And and what, recognizing that and, and maybe not going into the, the literature part of things, what do you think is helpful for someone if they're listening and they either just lost someone? Well, and even it can be a long time ago and still really Absolutely. fresh, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely, because there really is no timeline of grief, too. Yeah, there's a number of things that can be quite helpful. I think we can count ourselves among the truly fortunate if we have a friend or family member or a neighbor or a companion of some kind who knows how to ask, truly ask, how are you? And who knows how to return to that question 
how are you? Because the lifespan of friendship relationships that know how to ask, how are you in the wake of losing someone that you love is actually quite narrow. Meaning like if you lose someone that you love, the average person will probably ask you, oh, Liz, how are you doing? You lost your, your aunt, your husband, your dog, your blood. And they'll ask you for a concentrated amount of time. But your grief will extend far beyond that concentrated amount of time. And so it's a rare person that has a friend, a companion, a neighbor, a person who knows how to keep showing up and ask, how are you three months later, six months later, a year later, on the anniversary, on the second anniversary, on the third anniversary, on the fifth anniversary, on the birthday. So if we wanted to be that person for someone else. What would that look like? Is it really just, hey, I remember this happened. How are you? Is there? Yep. Daring to show up and ask the question. Did you say daring? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, an an interesting choice of words because I actually, I find sometimes I will want to do something I think is generous or, or giving and yeah, sometimes I am scared too. So I think that was an interesting choice. Yeah. Well, oftentimes, particularly when it comes to, to grief and loss and death, people get very shy about using the word die, dead, death. And particularly if we are the someone, if we are the person who has had someone die, it can become very, very clear who is uncomfortable who is uncomfortable around us with those words. Oh, yeah. Because we don't hear people say, how are you since your spouse died? Mm -hmm. How are you since your dog died? Mm -hmm. How are you since your child died? And sometimes for the living, like it is the people who have the courage to ask that question. How are you since your child died? That is the most valuable, Mm -hmm. but it's a rare person who can like muster the words. Because yeah. they think like, oh, I shouldn't say it. Yeah. 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 If you, you know, if you say it, then it makes it real, even if it's. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the thing for somebody who has experienced that type of death, you can't make it worse. You right. can't make it any more real. Like they're living with it every single day. And they just want somebody to see their pain, and their loss. What else for someone in terms of action that an individual can take, whether that's yep. resources or. Yep. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so dovetailing on that, like, because it can be so rare to have somebody that you can genuinely talk to and genuinely confide in, it can be a really good idea to find a professional to speak with. That can be a really invaluable resource to just know that you have somebody out there who's going to have your back. Absolutely, unconditionally, 100%. That can be invaluable. Locally, here in Juneau, we have historically had a wonderful resource in Catholic Community Services um, bereavement groups. These bereavement groups have been running for decades and have provided a beautiful community of support for people who have lost people. So these groups, if you are familiar, and I will send you the link so that you can link them on your website, 
too, are groups that meet for a period of time throughout the the year formally um, with their staff, the CCS staff. And then after a period of kind of formal bereavement gathering, um, the group is set free. But by that time, um, the group often has formed quite a connection with one another. And those connections form friendships that sustain sometimes for quite an enduring period because there is something very valuable about being able to connect with other people who have experienced loss. There's something about being able to be with somebody and not having to explain (laughs) all of the kind of ins and outs of, of where we're at. And most of the people who find themselves attending one of the bereavement groups through CCS, the losses that the people are experiencing have happened in similar timeframes. So the loss might be newer, fresher, et cetera. And so the, the, the timing of people finding one another is really valuable as well. So that type of support group where there's information, there's resources, and there's also community building is very valuable. And we have that right here in our community. And it's been a resource that has just been fantastic. And is that a free resource? Oh, goodness. I should have prepared that. No, no. (laughs) We'll we'll find out. (laughs) I have the link ready to send you. It. I I know that they would not want to turn anyone away um, from that due to financial limitations. But I don't know the answer to that off the top of my tongue. Forgive me for that. Um, But the common denominator for having someone to speak with, having a community to grieve with, is being able to know that a person is not alone in their grief. Certainly when someone dies and someone is grappling with grief, grappling with saying goodbye to a loved one, there can be a level of depression that can show up that can be very disorienting and can lead to isolation that can be quite worrisome. And so any of these opportunities to connect with other people are opportunities to really make sure and support somebody that has experienced great loss and get them out of their home because isolation is unhealthy for most people, actually, particularly after loss. It can be really important after someone dies to establish really healthy patterns of behavior although it can also be a very challenging time for someone to be establishing very healthy behaviors. So things like healthy sleep habits, healthy eating habits, moving your body and having an elevated heart rate on a regular basis, things like that are so critically important mm-hmm. and yet can also be really difficult to get somebody to get out of the house depending on what type of loss they're experiencing. You mentioned the help of professionals, talked about uh, group resources available in Juneau, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. a number of communities have. I mean, that's such a good idea. And actually, when my grandfather, this was in California, so very different location, but when he died, hospice had been brought in and they reached out to me for at least a year. Um, and I never, I never reached back to their services, but they were sending me letters in Alaska 
Yes. And and yeah, about their groups. Yes. It was pretty Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And that was a free resource through that hospice. Um, but if someone's wanting one-on-one professional help, are there, and I, I know we can talk about the, the difficulty of just finding therapists in Juno that have availability. Um, but if someone is looking for an individual, there are so many types of, I mean, I don't even know the word there's counselors, therapists, it's like, like different um, type letters behind people's names. And then yep. I'm sure other different specialties. Yep. Do you have any guideline or advice for someone seeking somebody and kind of what, how to navigate that world if, besides asking your friends? I mean, asking your friends is a very good place to start because her friends often know us well and have firsthand experience for who's doing great work. Um, I also am going to send you a link to the Juno Mental Health Directory that is a a fairly comprehensive directory of most private practice therapists in town, as well as it has links to um, community mental health services, et cetera, in our community, as well as Southeast Alaska. So this is limited to Southeast Alaska. Um, And one of the things that the Juno Mental Health Directory is doing well right now, many things, they're doing many things well right now, is they're keeping track of who has availability and what specialties Mm -hmm. are the people offering. And so through that link, there is a fairly comprehensive list of the people that are providing services, whether or not they have availability, their contact phone number, their contact email whether or not they have a website and what specialties they have available. And so that's a really great one-stop shop to be able to look and see who in our town, who in Southeast is doing what. And that's a great place to look right now. Well, I was just going to say, I wanted to shift at some point Mm -hmm. and ask some questions about, which may not be where you want to go, but, but I'm thinking of, and, if we know someone is dying and how we might prepare or maybe or maybe even not go to the place already like it's happened and enjoy our time with them but before I don't want to shift if there's something else that you had wanted to cover of of someone that's going through grief of their own other resources other anything else you want to say yeah there's a lot that can be said there's a lot that can be said on this topic. And in fact, one of the things that I was reflecting on most, knowing that we were going to have this conversation, was this theme of how do we choose to live our lives and what intention do we bring to how we live our lives? What intention do we bring to the living And what intention do we bring after someone has died? And so I've had conversations in the past week with people who have said goodbye to people who have loved music. And so because they've said goodbye to loved ones who have loved music, they have this beautiful, this beautiful way of having conversations with their now dead loved ones by playing music and bringing their loved ones to mind. They can play play songs that were cherished 
and loved while their loved ones were alive. And now that their loved ones have passed, they can bring them to mind while they're playing music, singing music, etc. And there they are feeling as if they're honoring their loved ones in a whole other spirit, even though they're no longer with us. And there's an intentionality there that can feel restorative, can feel healing, can feel abundant in a way. And I think when I'm speaking with people who are able to tap into that type of intentionality about, yeah, you know, when I notice that I'm playing music, singing, and thinking of so-and-so, yes, it's it, there can be sadness, and yes, there's emotion, and yes, I might even find that I have tears rolling down my face, but there's also life flowing in a way that is different than they would have expected. There's something generative there rather than stagnant. Mm-hmm. That would be somewhat of an example of like bringing a loved one to life in everyday moments with great intentionality. I'm, I'm speaking about kind of optimistic, loving ways of saying goodbye to people, loving ways of bringing people to mind in life also. But that's what I am doing. At the other end of the spectrum, there are really challenging relationships out there too, where people die and it's like heartbreaking. And we didn't have an opportunity to say goodbye in ways that are healing or restorative, or relationships were broken at the time of death, or there were abusive harms that prevented relationships from being intact. This is all very real. And, you know, knowing how to grieve those deaths and knowing how to live intentionally with those deaths is just as important as the deaths where there's all sorts of warm and fuzzies. And so in those instances, I hear people talking about striving to live in the way that they wish they could have done with the person who has died or attempting to live and be an example of the thing that the person who died wasn't able to do. Right. The person who died had limitations that were within their control, not within their control. They were conscious of, not conscious of. And so we, the living can intentionally choose to do something different and be a living example of something different. And that too can be a very intentional way of living in contrast to the dying. And that can be a form of of grieving and coping in, in everyday life. Similarly, you know, we're talking about a death but we can also grieve people who are still living when we have to say goodbye to people who were no longer able to be in relationship for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. If we lose a relationship. Yeah. On, on our intention because of a reason that we might need to do for ourselves, but doesn't mean it's yeah necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we dig deep. We have to dig real deep to find ways of living purposefully 
knowing that we have done what is best to honor our own selves, living from integrity and honoring that other person too that we've had to distance from, even if they don't understand. I feel like that's a whole... <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> forms, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Right. So, right. so uh, let me go back. So here, like, I just kind of opened this ball of wax about like, how do we live intentionally honoring lives in the present when people have died? And so there's ways that we can do it through music. There's ways that we can do it through um, cooking, recreating, you know, recipes that have been passed down, recreating things through story, recreating things through, you know, photos. Um, another thing that people really find to be helpful is um, creating an altar. And it doesn't need to be necessarily a religious altar, but a place in the home that is a, a particular location where we put photos or objects that are reminders of the person that we are saying goodbye to, where we might go each day and light a candle or just go visit the person that we've said goodbye to or are saying goodbye to and let them know that we love them and we miss them i like these ideas it's creative i've heard so many people over the years say okay so what do i do now i'm supposed to like eat healthy and exercise and go to sleep at a normal time And I kind of chuckle when people say that because I'm like, yeah, of course, of course you can do those things, but we should really do those things every day. So like, let's talk about the person that you love. Let's talk about the person that you're saying goodbye to. What do you miss about them? What do you not miss about them? What's going to change in your life because they're now dead? And what parts of them do you want to capture and bring into everyday life? Whatever those elements of that person are that you want to capture and bring into everyday life, those are the things that you want to do to keep their memory alive. So you want to go on a weekly hike and talk to them? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. Sure. You know, eating healthy, sleeping, all that stuff. Yes, that's all important. But I think when we dig deep into kind of the soulful question, that's where we see what was it that wove the relationship mm-hmm. together? What was it that held significance between the two people? And that's what we want to, you know, sustain. If mm-hmm. someone is lo- losing someone actively, mm-hmm. um, and I'm kind of thinking about this from two perspectives because I've seen in my own life and others where there might be a a diagnosis that is Mm -hmm. means someone has very few months to live. And then that individual is going through their own grieving process of death being near and then the family and maybe that individual with the diagnosis is going through, you know, mad about it or in denial. And then (laughs) the family has their own I don't I mean we could talk for hours on just this probably but um I don't know if there's anything you want to touch on in a few minutes before I ask you about something else um so 
managing grief. Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Like, I suppose, I suppose. I mean, I could come all kinds of angles from that. If it's, if you have a diagnosis and managing your own grief, I mean, you're losing everything. Yeah. Unexpected. Well, yeah. Oh dear. I mean, we humans can be so complex because I've seen as, as you probably have seen that sometimes people come into that type of experience and they individually are like, wow, I have so little life left. I'm going to cherish every one and every moment. And all right, let's celebrate. And it's just, you know, there's immense gratitude, which is not all roses and butterflies by any means. Um, but at the other end of the spectrum, sometimes that happens and there's um, bitterness and anger and shutting people out. And um, one end of the spectrum is easier to navigate than the other. And certainly if, if someone finds themselves in the position where they're being shut out from grieving and relating to somebody who is going to die soon, they certainly, I think, would benefit from having some professional support and guidance because that would be a very traumatic experience. Death can be, death can be traumatic. It doesn't have to be to observe. Yeah. And so to, to highlight what you just said is if you are with someone still alive, mm-hmm. but knowing the end is near that don't be scared about seeking someone to talk to now through that to help you with all of the yes your own emotions yeah yes the thing that I would want to just this is going to sound like a different topic but it is in a vein of what we're talking about the thing that can be quite shocking to people I think is um, often that first anniversaries the first birthdays, the first running into friends, neighbors, colleagues at the grocery store where your guard is down and people ask, how are you doing? And those are moments where where we we need support. We need friends. We need family. We need people. It doesn't really matter who it is. We need, we need people who know us, who care about us, who want to support us who we can say, oh gosh, the first anniversary of their death is coming up. This is the first birthday without them. This is our our wedding anniversary. This is my kid's birthday. Gosh, how do I do Christmas? How do I do, how do I do the holidays by myself? All those moments, sometimes it's the mundane moments that catch people off guard. And those are the moments where we need to be able to call somebody and say, hey, wow, the wind just got knocked out of me and I didn't see it coming. Can you come be with me or can I come stop by? Or can you just listen for a moment? Humans. Yeah. <laughs> we're, Humans. we're complicated. Yeah. But also, like what a testament to our ability to love and to our innate connectedness 
Like we really are hardwired for connection. We really do need one another. We really are better together. We really are better when we look out for one another. And that kind of ties into starting with talking about the pandemic loss. Holy moly. And how for many that was the holy moly loss of, of connectivity, even though people are not okay. Mm-hmm. People are coming back from it, but people are not okay. It's a big statement. We forget that people who are immunocompromised, people who are struggling with chronic illness, many of our doctors healthcare providers go to work and go home and that is it because they prioritize taking care of us there is still a lot of isolation happening the world over so grief is a very 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 relevant topic i want to be mine scratch the topic (laughs) all right right (laughs) yeah And I want to be mindful of your time, Katie. I was curious if you wanted to say anything. I I guess I found this interesting, of course, with my background doing the legal documents. Mm. But when we were having our pre-discussion, you mentioned... Which has looked nothing like what we've talked about so far. (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) No, I... um, but you had you had mentioned just yes. the someone dealing or or people that have to deal with the, yes. the le- a legal mess potentially yes. when someone dies and how that can yes. delay the yes. grieving process, which I found an yes. interesting perspective. Yes. Do you want to just kind of yes. highlight that? Yes. And yes, what- I yes, I was thinking of someone particular, wasn't I, when I was mentioning about unique to the pandemic actually where people where many people have lost someone during the pandemic whether to COVID or not where people have died and because of circumstances we have not been able to gather in the ways that we previously would have gathered before memorials funerals etc to say goodbye and so um, people have died and now going on years, we have not had memorials and funerals for people who have died. And I, and that suspended grief weighs on people in a way that is quite burdensome. And it can also be quite tricky mentally and emotionally because the function of a memorial or a funeral um, serves as quite literal, literally, a process of making it real that someone has died. When we get the phone call, so-and-so has died. It's a story. It's a phone call. It's a memory. But often until we're gathering with friends or family or seeing photos of the event or even watching it, I guess, on Zoom, whatever the circumstances might be today, we might convince ourselves, well, it didn't really happen. Mm. And yet it did happen. I think you're also referencing, though, that if someone dies suddenly and their affairs are not in order, which happens every day, all the time, 
someone dies and their affairs are not in order, and there's not a memorial or a funeral to mark their death, the grieving for the people who are grappling with their estate gets postponed. And so I'm thinking of someone specifically who had a loved one die and their estate is just completely disorganized and spread all over in all sorts of ways. And over a year later, things are getting sorted. And over a year later, the surviving family can finally say, okay, I can grieve now. Mm-hmm. The taxes are in order. The birth certificate, or excuse me, death certificate is in order. The bank accounts are in order. The assets are accounted for. I can grieve now. Yeah. I mean, I often see many years. Um, yeah, right. This one was kind of quick. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, it, can, it can be a burden. It's. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's an interesting aspect because even if someone has things set up very well, there is still paperwork and administration that must happen. And you are doing your family a service to set things up, you know, express your wishes and yes, have the binder ready. And yet, yeah, there's still administration that has to take place. Yeah. And it's really fascinating. And I, I don't mean that. I don't want that to come across poorly, but it might come across poorly when I say it that way, to watch someone kind of visually receive news that someone has died and then shift into that administrative role and then attempt to shift back into grieving. It's like it's like trying to grieve and then going to work and then trying to grieve, like turning on the switch, turning off the switch, turning on the switch. It's really difficult to navigate. Well, Katie, we could talk probably for hours, I'm sure. I I believe that's true. Yes. (laughs) But to wrap up this conversation, I do always end. um, And then we'll talk about, I'll have some other final questions and ask if there's anything you want to add. But Mm. um, I like to ask guests if they have a tip on a life transition That can be from your own getting more personal and your own personal experience. It could be any transition or that could tie right into to losing to death or other grieving that we've been talking about. Is there anything like to highlight? It's always been very important to me to be able to get outside and feel myself in connection with nature, to feel myself be one part of a much greater whole yeah that is how i stay connected to myself in good times and in challenging times and that has been true whether we've lived here whether we've lived other places whether we've had abundance whether we've had hard challenges and that's true for me that might not be true for all people but that's true for me that nature is helpful to me yeah Well, thank you for that. And it is later in the afternoon. I have not been outside yet today. It's time. (laughs) Um, That is rare, but it's been a day. Uh, But I really enjoyed speaking with you. Katie, I think you are not accepting clients currently, but is that right? Do you want to share any contact just in case? Right now, I am not able to welcome new clients. But I will send you the link to the Juno Mental Health 
directory so that it's very clear who in town is able to welcome new clients so that people can very quickly get connected with people who are available uh, without delay. Great. Well, thank you yeah. for speaking with me and we can sh- so we can share this and for providing that resource. I look forward to sharing that and it's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you very, very much. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.